Hey, this is Marx, and you're listening to Into This. Into This is my podcast, and in this podcast, I try to learn more about things related to the contemporary art world, and I do that through conversations with people involved in it. Today, my guest is arts and cultural manager, Rebecca Davison-Mora. I met over Zoom with Rebecca recently. She relocated from Toronto to London, England in 2020, where she is pursuing her master's in arts and cultural management at King's College in London. She has an undergraduate degree in creative writing and English literature from York University in Toronto. She was a gallery manager at Patel Gallery, which recently became Patel Brown in Toronto. She worked there for about three years. Um, so yeah, so Rebecca is coming up shortly. I think I've mentioned this in the past, but just in case this is the first time that you're connecting with a podcast, I run a small independent art space in Toronto now called TAP, TAP Art Space, T-A-P. And we moved this space from Montreal to Toronto last year in 2020, early in the year, so it was not pandemic yet. And the anecdote here is that I met Rebecca while setting up our booth, which was the first time we were participating at an art fair that was back in 2019 in Montreal. And she very kindly invited us to join a group of other galleries, you know, my, my wife and I. And they were going out for drinks that night. And it was the first day of the fair. But man, we were just dead. We were just crazy tired and we just couldn't do it. We just couldn't do it. And obviously, um, we underestimated the energy that is needed to perform well at an art fair. Art fairs are funny. You get a wide variety of people coming in, right? So you get the super professionals as well as really knowledgeable people in the arts and they want to have a conversation with you for you know an hour about the work that you're presenting there in the booth and you know your objectives with the gallery and all of those things which is pretty interesting you know um, and then you also get the people who are looking for the bathroom <laughs> and you, you get all of that and, and it's great but it requires a lot of energy and we really since it was the first time that we were doing it, we didn't know. We didn't know. So going back to Rebecca at the end of that day, first day, she comes to us and she was like, so uh, some people are going out for drinks. <laughs> you guys want to come? And I remember my wife and I just look at each other and we're like, e yeah, we, we, we probably won't be able to. <laughs> and I, I guess that was a testament to the fact that she's a lot younger than us and she had a lot more energy. Right. So, but no, um, as soon as we moved to Toronto, we looked for Rebecca and we made things right. We, uh, we asked her to, to come over to the space and we had some drinks here and we continued our relationship. And, um, we are actually very grateful with her. She's been a, a very important part of us really getting to know the community of the arts in Toronto. She has given us a lot of tips and shared with us a bunch of contacts that are really great in the city of Toronto and uh, we're grateful with her. I caught up with her in her apartment in, in London and I wanted to talk to her because as I mentioned she was working at Patel Brown and so what I wanted to know is what made her decide starting a, a master's project, a master program in cultural management and something really interesting that she shared with me is the fact that She's very interested in moving into the policy area of the art. So, you know, securing a sustainable way to support the arts, which is very necessary, as we all know. And we, we have a conversation about that. And, and so it's, uh, I, I like this conversation. We get into the nitty gritty of uh, a little bit of economics in the arts and how that works and what would be a utopic way of thinking about the sustainability in the arts. So obviously a complex, complex topic that will not be solved by a one hour podcast, but you know, it's something to think about. And I really enjoy this. And again, I'm really grateful with Rebecca for um, participating in the podcast, for giving us our time. And uh, this is me and Rebecca talking. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so are you recording now? Yes. <laughs> now awesome. <I'm> <laughs> this is when we ask each other, how are you? Not like in the previous 15 minutes that I'm trying to fix the uh, technology. I know, I didn't even ask you. you. Like, I felt so bad that I just asked you two minutes ago. I'm like, oh, I no, haven't seen Mark in months and I haven't even asked. Like, how are you? <laughs> when I used to have people over, uh, you know, they would come to in Montreal to the garage or my, my apartment to have the conversations. I try not to talk too much before sitting in the mic because, you know, all the juicy stuff comes up. If you spoil it too early, then, you know, it's a little of a, a miss. People say all the good stuff before you start recording. Exactly. It's like, where where is the magic now? <laughs> <laughs> so how are things? Good. Uh, good. Yeah. I mean, it's like spring over here. So nice. Um, the flowers Already. are out and the sun is out and like 10 degrees so coming from a canadian winter to this is just like a pleasure it's a pleasure for sure here i mean today is beautiful it's super sunny and all but still chilly um it's starting to feel a little bit like the spring is somewhere around the corner no not right away around the corner but like maybe half a block away half a block away <laughs> or maybe like two blocks away because it's march maybe it, <laughs> yeah it always feels like that in in march right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. until it's april and then it changes up but um you're in london yes um so That's... i came back to toronto for christmas i was very lucky mm -hmm. i was able to um, and then I made it back just in time, really, because after that, um, the UK started kind of lock closing down its borders. And so that's right. I, just, I got back in the nick of time. <laughs> I know. I remember you were waiting um, at the beginning of the pandemic because your program started sometime in the middle, right? Like right in the pandemic uh, times. Yeah. So my program started yeah. in August. Um, right. And I was frantically trying to get all my papers together to go at the end yeah. of July. And I couldn't. It was impossible with all of the wait times and everything. So I didn't end up leaving until October. Um, mm -hmm. And then I got like two or three weeks of freedom. And then London locked down. Um, right. And then I was in lockdown. And then I had another two, three weeks of freedom. And then I went home for Christmas. And it was in lockdown in Canada. Came back. It was locked down here. And yeah. it hasn't lifted yet. So uh, we'll be lifting partially in April. Okay. Sa same here. I think uh, from tomorrow, we're not officially in lockdown anymore, which honestly, I don't know too many people who understand what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> because, really? Yeah, exactly. We're kind of like in, in, in the same situation, except I guess some stores reopen and I don't know what else. I know I really the know. problem so. with all of this stuff is, is like, they're never clear about what phases you're going into or like what those phases yeah. mean. Um, yeah. I don't know. Here they're a little bit more ambitious with the reopening because of the COVID vaccine rollout has been really, really fast. So um, things have been moving quite quickly and they're aiming to like open everything up by July, uh, like full everything. And it was very ambitious. Yeah, it was. So that was published just a few weeks ago and everybody got super excited. Everybody was like booking holidays. And I was like, I don't know if this is like the right time to act. Maybe yeah. just wait a few months before you decide you're going to go to the Canary Islands. I don't know. Um, I know. So, I know. but everyone's like desperate, desperate for some, some kind of end to it all, which I totally understand. Some relief for sure. For sure. But uh, yeah, I think, I think you're right in that. We need to be a little bit cautious still. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for making time to and chat with me. It's it's always been a you know a pleasure when we had the chance to to chat in the past in Toronto and when we first met back in Montreal around two years ago or so. It was in a, at a fair. You you were representing Patel Brown back then. Well, it was Montreal. Patel then. Now it's Patel. It was Brown. Patel only. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. It's, uh, so when, when did it become uh, Patel Brown? So just before recent? I left. Yeah. yeah. So I would say mm -hmm. I left in August. So I think two months before that, that's when the partnership happened. So when we right. met the first time, it was just Patel Gallery. It's um, Patel. How long do you work for, for the gallery? Three years. Three yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was three yeah. years. You know, three years is a significant um, amount of time to be somewhere and to see something grow. For, for sure. For three years is really amazing and interesting. 
Mm-hmm. So were you with them from the beginning of the gallery? No, that, I wasn't. No? Okay. I kind of like, mm-hmm. when I started, um, it was still project gallery. There was like a few little iterations okay. that I went through um, and Devin had started it. Um, he had originally had kind of a couple business partners and then he had kind of made a go of it on his own. And I think he'd been doing that for a little while. And then I, um, came on board as an intern. Um, right. And then I just kind of stayed. What were you doing before? Were you just coming out of school? Like if you got like that job as an internship, is that, is that what happened? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that my journey to where I'm at is a little bit more eclectic than perhaps other people that I know, um, because I didn't study art history. I wasn't a fine art major. Um, I studied poetry, creative writing. That's my degree, um, poetry and nonfiction. And so I have a literary background. Um, but when I was in university, I got a job at the university art gallery. Um, I went to York university And they have a really amazing thing where they've got all of these little satellite galleries um, that give students the chance to like work in a gallery and learn and have a faculty supervisor. Um, So that was an invaluable experience to me. So I started working there in my second year of university. And then um, I became the assistant kind of curator and director under a faculty supervisor. And then I had an older student who was the curator and kind of director. And basically we ran a, a gallery, just the two of us, um, yeah. with some supervision. But we were given all of the responsibility and it was like a total invaluable experience of how to run something with relatively low stakes. Like, you know, you're not going to lose sure. anything if you make mistakes. You've got your faculty to kind of help you if you mm-hmm. if you need it. And then I became the director after that. So... Yeah. Um, I was a director there for a year. Um, and then after that, I graduated and I thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to work in an art gallery. I don't have an art degree. <laughs> but I loved it. Like, I really loved it. And I wanted to continue right. doing it. But I just thought I wouldn't be able to do it. So I went to Seneca College for events um, design. Like, I did floral design. I did all of this stuff that... Now that I think about it, I'm like, why would I do that? <laughs> but I did. I thought it was practical at the time. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Then I got an internship um, at the Broadview Hotel, which is in Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. And I was helping out with Nuit Blanche. Um, I was volunteering right. some time. Um, and then that's where I met Devin. Um, mm-hmm. He was curating some um, sites for Nuit Blanche. Um, and that's how I connected with him. And then right. I asked him if he needed some help. Um, or I think it was suggested to me that he needed some help. Somebody said okay. he needed some help with the gallery. And was I interested because I'd worked in my university one? And I said, yes. Right. Um, yeah. And then that's how I started working with him. And then it just kind of went from internship to part-time to full-time to management. So it really right. was just like a combination of just being in the right place at the right time, meeting the right person and having the right personality fit, I think was a big part of it. Yeah. Sure. That's a big aspect of uh, working in a commercial gallery for sure. But um, before that, so what do you want to do with your uh, poetry and nonfiction degree? (laughs) You know what? It's really helpful. Um, even it doesn't sound like it's the most helpful degree, but it really is. Um, Of course. I mean, you, you learn how to write really well. Yes. And you know what? Uh, Literature and art are so connected. Like all of the movements that you're reading um, in literature, they're reflected in art as well, right? Like nothing was created in a vacuum. So Mm -hmm. I think it it really actually translated quite well. And um, at the core of all of my research and everything that I've done from the very beginning has been this idea of pushing this idea of how do we decolonize ourselves, essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of my work Mm -hmm. that I did in my undergraduate degree um, revolved around pushing like these limits of hybridity and post-coloniality. And then I picked up that work just in a different setting, in a different industry, 
um, in my master's degree. So a lot of the work I did is actually connecting in some really interesting ways that I wasn't expecting. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that even though it's not like directly related, it's been really helpful and has informed everything. And it also just made me like a better person. Like learning how to connect with poetry, right. with nonfiction, it just opens you up to a whole realm of different people, different perspectives, different ways of thinking, different ways of seeing. So I think it was yeah. really just a formative degree for me as a person. Like I wouldn't go back and choose something more practical because I think it actually did a lot for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that makes me think of uh, a few past interviews that I've had with same curators or even artists and you know, sometimes the question of why do you think all of this is important? You know, why are we as a community pushing for more, you know, uh, initiatives in the arts for more things to happen and, and why? And a lot of a lot of that is kind of like getting close a little bit to like a religious thought in that, you know, it becomes something that forms a person as well, because it creates a different way of thinking. It creates a different way to relate you know, interpersonal relationships and all of that. And uh, that's interesting that, that you should say that as well. I mean, in the end of the day, it's arts, right? It's the arts in a, in a different um, output, but it, it becomes that way of perhaps being in close proximity to your thoughts and feelings. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a emotive experience, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. So I think that I really encourage interdisciplinarity. Like, I really think that you know, all arts are connected. Um, and I think that's a very popular thought now. I think there's a big push towards conceptualizing art as something that's multifaceted True. and not just like painting, sculpture, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and many artists now are able to kind of cross boundaries into different ways of making and seeing. Um, so I think that that's really wonderful that there's this boundary crossing so that mm -hmm. we're kind of all tasting a little bit of everybody's um, practices and experiences and perspectives. I think that's for really sure. Great. So when you said that in your undergrad and through your independent, perhaps research, you've been exploring topics such as uh, decolonialism and things like that. What is the research that you have been involved in? That's interesting. Yeah. So basically um, in my poetry or my undergraduate final projects, I looked at this idea of hybridity within myself. So, you know, my father's Mexican, my mother's British. I was reading a lot of Canadian white men <laughs> in my classes, uh, British white men. Um, I think the literary tradition is still extremely Eurocentric, definitely still in a bit of a mindset of sure. a, a tradition of literature. And I got really okay. frustrated. I was like, why am I reading all of this? Like, mm. this isn't helping me understand who I am. And isn't that what mm. literature is supposed to do? It's supposed to help me understand who I am. Um, so I started writing about that. And I started reading um, a lot more Latin American work, literary work. And that was a challenge for me because I don't speak Spanish very well. So I had mm. to find English translations. I had to struggle through like Spanish Um And then I found um, some really wonderful work by Chicana poets and writers in the United States who right. wrote in Spanglish, who um, were kind of working through a lot of the ideas and things that I was working through. Um, and it really interested me, this idea of being two things at once yeah. and inhabiting yeah. like a space that's in between the both or the two. Um, so that's what all my writing was about. Um, and I used like the family archive. So mm -hmm. I went digging and my dad helped, um, me because it's very hard. Um, my family's not a family that has a lot of paperwork. Um, right. so I had to really dig with my dad and we found my abuelo's, um, work papers for when he worked in Texas, uh, photographs, very rare because there wasn't a camera yeah. where my dad grew up. Um, and so I just kind of was mining for as much information as I could possibly get about that side of myself, because I don't think I ever had explored it. 
Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it really helped and mm -hmm. informed the way that I wrote after that. Um, and I did a big project utilizing all of that information. Um, yeah. And so that's how I started on this idea, like this idea of in-betweenness, existing two places at once, um, taking an existing kind of canon or history of literature that's just one narrative and wanting to kind of insert um, different things into yeah. the same timeline yeah. because they're being made at the same time. They're all part of the same history. Um, it's just multiple, multiple different histories, multiple different perspectives. Um, and I didn't think I was getting that at the time. Um, right. And you know what? That actually kind of tied in into the fact that, you know, the gallery I chose to work at did a lot of the same things just with art. Um, you know, the artists that we worked with, um, we're really kind of telling stories, making work that was promoting an injection of different models of thinking, of being um, into a space that maybe traditionally didn't include those. That's right. Um, so yeah. it, it did connect. And then now in my research that I'm doing for my master's degree, I'm looking at um, those same ideas again, um, just more in the museum and institution um, mm -hmm. and changing the way that objects are displayed, presented, um, talked about um, in those spaces. So yeah, that's kind of, there is a thread that goes through everything. Yeah, for sure. We'll get to your MA because I think that's very, that's a very interesting thing. But um, just, just going back to, to what you, you keep saying, uh, you know, feeling kind of like in the middle, in between or something like that. I, I think that's, yeah. um, I, I just recently had a conversation with Carla Rojas, also from Toronto. So she's going to be part of the podcast Carla's too. going to be part of the podcast? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, so wonderful. Yeah. And so like we were talking about that thing of the experience of being an immigrant, right? Mm. And and how you're always kind of like trying to always remembering your roots and, uh, you know, you're never letting that piece go. At the same time, always looking forward and trying to, you know, fit in to the new community yeah. and trying to make your life. And, and so it seems like it's it's a little bit of that discovery as well. Um, but what you're trying to uh, what you were trying to accomplish with all the research, but with the lens, perhaps of. I, I don't know if I want to say policy or politics in general, right? In that. OK, so what does it mean that I'm reading only Canadian white men, you know, telling me perhaps my history? Or yeah. what is what is valuable of this or that? So, um, so you said that your your dad is from Mexico, right? What about your mom? So my mom's from England. Um, so that's why I'm here. <laughs> I have, I'm lucky. <laughs> I've got the ability to have citizenship to three countries, uh, which is a privilege in in itself. Um, but yes, so my mother's British and my father's Mexican, right. and I grew up in Canada. So you can imagine there's yeah. so many <laughs> layers to tr yeah. try and sift through and understand. And I mean, I'm not an immigrant. I grew up in Canada. I have a very Canadian experience of growing up. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, that experience is going to look really different to yours or sure. Carla's, or even if I think about my boyfriend, um, mm -hmm. new immigrants have such a different experience. Um, and I think about my dad and coming over in the seventies and like how different yeah. that would have been. Um, so, you know, it's all, I think there's this like push a lot of the time to put these experiences into one category, but yeah. I'm really interested in not doing that and really looking mm -hmm. at like all of the multiple facets and ways that we experience the same, yeah. the same space, right? Because we're all, especially if you think about it in the art world, we're all moving through the same kind of space, but we're each right. experiencing it in extremely different ways. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. And that, that's funny too. I mean, that came up in the conversation in terms of how comfortable or not comfortable you are yeah. at the beginning when you're just starting to visit, you know, shows or galleries 100%. or museums. It's an uncomfortable thing. You know, it's like, it's not your comfort zone. It, it's something that you have to kind of like, past that threshold and then you feel like okay but that jump I don't know how many people are willing to do first of all and then two how welcoming the community is for that you know no, what I mean? 100% and I I definitely feel felt that intimidation at the beginning um yeah of working in those spaces because that's even a whole different thing than entering the space oh, yeah. like you're working in that space and I was so young um and you know the Canadian art scene is really small 
And I mean, I feel so lucky now having been in it for three years that I really built a community and I felt so loved and taken care of after, you know, working in it for X amount of time. But at the beginning, it was super scary. I felt like I didn't know enough that I needed to learn more, that maybe I wasn't articulating myself in the right way, Mm -hmm. um, that Mm -hmm. I didn't have the Mm -hmm. language to talk about the things I felt or wanted to say. Um, So yeah, I felt really intimidated. And I think a lot of people do. For sure. Before moving to Toronto, I used to work in a lab. And so as a chemist, you know, there's only so much communication you need to have with people. (laughs) Really, you just need to be (laughs) in the lab doing your thing, right? (laughs) And that saved me for a long time. And then I moved to a position in which I actually have to interact a lot more. And that was always, it's still, to be honest, it's still always in my mind in in the sense that, um, you know, there are some ways in which local people communicate and it, it takes, let's say, five seconds. I always think about this in terms of like time, perhaps, and numbers. And perhaps the communication that between two people coming from the same place will take five seconds. Yes. With me, it'll take 10 or something like that to get to the same point. And I think there's a big ask from us as immigrants or, you know, in general, the community to everybody else to kind of like have that patience. Now, that, that's just one example, but like that is many other things, right? In terms of creating diversity and inclusion. So in the arts, you know, going back to the arts, it kind of like happens like that, I, I guess, as well, because hopefully more and more, but there's not a lot of representation in the contemporary arts, especially um in, in the commercial aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a there's still like a lot to be pierced there and there's a lot of opportunities. And so uh, what what was your, your experience with that, working inside a gallery? I mean, I was very lucky in the sense that I got to work in a gallery that was a bubble of representation. Right. And so right. I don't think I would have worked in another gallery other than that one. But Interesting. I, I think that is why... Um, I was able to grow. I was able to, I was in um, a space that encouraged um, representation. Um, So in a way, I think I was in a little bit of a bubble there Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. because once you exit that bubble, (laughs) you realize that not everywhere is the same. Um, And, you know, there was a push. There has been a push definitely um, towards more representation. And I think, you know, especially with Black Lives Matter, a lot of Toronto galleries got held accountable for the right. lack of artists on their rosters mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. Um, you know, are not of color and are not women and are not queer. Yeah. Um, right. So I think that that was a bit of a reckoning. <laughs> it was very public. And a few galleries issued statements. I've seen a push definitely to combat mm-hmm. that after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really, really positive. But what wasn't talked about at the time was the gallery staff. Who's working at those right. galleries? Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. that's a huge factor in why maybe there are not um, artists of color of on the roster. Yeah. I mean, in the end, if you're, if you're making the decisions, right? Yeah. Who's like making the decisions? The exactly. exactly. And I think mm-hmm. that for me, that is what I'm interested in because mm-hmm. if you had a representative staff, you would have a more representative roster Yeah, because your staff would be thinking about different people in their own communities that they know they'd have their radar would just naturally be in a different place And that's really where I think representation kind of is really important because decision makers need to be um, representative, not just artists. And I think the artists are very, very important, but they also need a staff that understands them as well. Like, I mean, I think people do a really great job. I think we have got a lot of wonderful allies in the Toronto community. Um, But I think that that's where I was really kind of thinking about it at the time. I was like, well, if the staff was more representative then I think the artist would be more representative. I think it's a bit of a circle mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. It all feeds back into one another. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think in my experience at going to art fairs and um, just even the charity auctions and things like that, I think yeah. there is more representation in the artists than there is in the staff. For sure, for sure. No, and and you know, it's it's a it's a work in progress, I think, and. Um, 
but in the past year was became really evident that this doesn't come obviously from recent times. This has been a structural issue that has come through the centuries. And, and you know, it's, it's not something that can be also probably fixed with a, you know, snap of a finger. Um, but what, I, what I'm trying to say is that I wonder how much work has been done in the community to bring up, you know, more representation, but not just from a standpoint of like, now you apply, but no, it's like, it's before that. It's like, since yeah. the person is a kid, 100%, you know, that's yeah. when you have to start to like, actually make them feel part of it, you know, of everything, not only art, everything else, right? A corporate positions, uh, sports, things like that. So it's, it's just... It has to be like a lift up from the bottom. Oh, 100%. You know? so, it can't be a mm-hmm. top down approach. Exactly. It has to be a exactly. bottom up That's right. approach. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that like, you know, this is like a an issue that stems in all areas of representation. You know, yeah. it really starts at the, yeah. the educational level. Who can afford to go to university? Right. Who can afford a That's master's right. degree? I mean, yeah. those are who who can afford unpaid positions that get you the experience yeah. that are needed for the paid yeah. positions. I I yeah. think these are all systemic issues that are being discussed, but I don't mm-hmm. know if I see um, anything moving past discussion at this point, really. And and I think uh, that piece I just mentioned, the unpaid perhaps internships and things like that, that happens a lot in in art galleries, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you wonder. First of all, who knows about those? <laughs> yeah. And then who has access to them? But um, let's move on from that because we can spend probably like four hours talking about I know. About I this mean, one. this is like my passion. <laughs> so like if you get me yeah. started talking about equity and representation, <laughs> I'll just keep going on and on and on. I want to tie it back to, to your current program because, okay, so you're working in the gallery in Toronto with Patel first and then it became Patel Brown. You were still there. And then you decide to pursue your MA. Yes. And your MA is in arts and cultural... Management. That's right. So were you exposed to some things in the gallery that made you or help you decide to go from that angle to the arts? You know, what happened there? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't have an art history background. Um, right. And I was getting really excited about a lot of stuff. You know, I was seeing artists that I really admired doing really Mm -hmm. wonderful work. Um, I was getting, I was reading more. I was going to shows. All of a sudden it was like my mind had been opened up to this like whole space that I had never seen before. And I got to a point where it's like, I think I need something to back up my experience here. Like I want to delve into this a little bit more substantially. I don't... Mm -hmm. I, I think that I'm missing like a little bit of a, a a puzzle piece in here that could fit everything that I'm looking at and everything that I'm seeing all together. And I just, I need something to do that for me personally, because I need right. to, for me, like, I, I'm just like, I'm a bit of a sponge, but I also need to understand what I'm absorbing. And mm-hmm. I think I lacked a little bit of the, I don't want to call it knowledge because I think that there's so many ways of knowing. And I don't think that school is like the only way to learn. I really don't. Um, but I think for me, it just seemed like a logical step of being able to like synthesize information differently and look at things in a different way. Um, and also like a chance for me to grow personally. Right. Like I, I think I was ready, um, to grow in myself as well, to, to push myself to do something new, to move to a new country, I I think I was ready for like a little bit of a push in my own Mm -hmm. development. Um, And this, this opportunity kind of presented itself. Um, I had a friend send me the link to the program and I was like, you know what? This is exactly what I want to do. This Mm -hmm. is exactly Mm -hmm. what I need right now in this moment of my life. Um, So then I applied. What is interesting is that you, you didn't choose to go in the route of curatorial studies or something like that in your yeah. MA. In your current program, what is exactly mm-hmm. the idea? Your idea, like what is the next step? What, what do you yeah. like to access? So it's not it's not a curatorial program. And I specifically mm-hmm. did not choose a curatorial program. Just because, you know, for me, in all of the experience that I had, the majority of it was not curatorial. Um, mm-hmm. I was coming at it from a very kind of planning um, logistics standpoint. 
Um, but I still think that planning and management for the arts is distinct from other sectors because what you're managing is special, right? right? Like it's special mm -hmm. and it requires a different mm -hmm. kind of management than say, if you're managing something in finance or shipments. Yeah, exactly. Like shipping art feels different than shipping something else. And why is <laughs> sure. that? You know, it's just, it just feels special in some way. You feel like you're doing something special. So yeah. Um, I was interested to kind of like push my knowledge a little further. So my program um, specifically looks at the specificity of managing art and culture, like what mm. makes it different than managing mm -hmm. something else. And so I take classes in cultural policy, um, you know, so politics of art yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and the government and its relationship to art and culture. Um, right. I've taken classes in like management, like actual management, um, and managing creativity and what does that look like? Um, and then I've also done classes, um, in how to approach research. Like how do you, how do you research art and culture? Right. How is that distinctive? Um, and then classes in how do you manage a collection? How do you manage an institutional space? I'm taking a course right now mm. with a Tate modern, um, and, a lot of that is about how to, what are the unique challenges of like a 21st century institution. Right. So it's all kind of right. the stuff that happens behind the scenes, not the yeah. curation, yeah. not the artist, right. who and how is this all kind of like this big engine running. Functioning. Yeah. 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 It's not, not the, not the tip of the iceberg, but the actual body. <laughs> <laughs> it's like way so, below. <laughs> under exactly. The ocean. Exactly. Um, and so with that, you, you, are you interested in jumping into the more museum type of work and institutions in the arts? That's the uh, objective. So, you know, it's so funny because yes, I thought when I started, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this program. I'm going to learn all of this stuff about institutions and museums. And I'm going to be able to transfer my skills from the commercial sector into an institutional setting. And then I started doing all these classes and researching and I realized, I don't think I want to work in an institution. <laughs> uh -huh. I think I'm really interested in policy and politics and representation right. and power and who has that power. So right. I think now I've switched actually um, into looking into policy and what where I can um, fit in terms of policy making and the government and how our governments treat arts and culture. Um, so yeah, I'm putting together a proposal for a PhD. Oh, great. And I'm going to um, start looking more at that and try and kind of build more ideas around like what is the role of our nations in constructing our identity through art and through culture. Yeah, we had that um, exchange of uh, ideas through email talking about where the capital and the funds usually come yeah. to the arts. Uh -huh. It's it's so complicated. This whole thing is so yeah. complicated. But I mean, I think basically, especially after the 2008 recession, um, the amount of funding that is available um, to institutions and to arts councils. So like, for example, in Canada and in um, the UK as well, because those are the two systems I'm most familiar with. You've got these um, councils set up. So in Canada, it's the Canada Council for the Arts. In the UK, it's um, the UK Arts, Coun Arts Council or something like that. Um, and mm -hmm. the government gives those councils an uh, amount of money. And then the council then divides that money to different institutions or different projects or artists um, through grants and bursaries. So... For instance, like an artist can put in an application for certain grants that pop up um, and then they can get money to create artwork um, or an institution that is a not-for-profit can apply for grants and get money from the Arts Council. So the government doesn't control necessarily where that money goes, but they provide mm. it. Um, and then the Arts Council distributes it. Those amounts of money are becoming smaller and smaller mm -hmm. and smaller. <laughs> um, right. And so institutions are not getting as much money as they used to. And then they have to supplement that income with commercial endeavors, private donations, 
corporate sponsorships, blockbuster exhibitions. Um, so that's how the institutions are dealing with it. But right. I do wonder, what about the the artists and the smaller kind of, you know, community-based spaces and things like that, where they don't necessarily have those commercial options available to them to make up for the lack of money that's kind of being sent their way or is that av- is available in the yeah. in the pot. Um, yeah. So I think that's where we get a more of a commercialized view of artwork. Like it has to have economic value for just like survival purposes. Um, yeah. So um, I think in, from my understanding and the way that I've looked at all of this, um, I really see mm, like just a huge divide between institutions and artists and small community spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think where the, the artists in the small community spaces are the ones that are really, really struggling. They don't have bailout money. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were lucky with CERB to kind of keep them afloat. Um, yeah. But CERB will end at some point, even though there's calls yeah. not to end it. Um, but, you know, these supports that are going to be needed after this. I'm I'm very interested to see what happens with that infrastructure. For sure. And so um, let me ask you a more, uh, you know, wide and, and complex question, I guess. Um, so what is the utopic dream for oh, this? Oh, wow. <laughs> like, really? I mean, yeah. like, what, what would be the, you know, what would bring the arts production into a more sustainable and future stability for it, you know? So I actually wrote a paper on this. Um, oh. <laughs> so you asked me the right question. Mark. That's right. <laughs> uh, because I am very curious about this. Like, how are we going to survive this? How are yeah. we going to move forward? Um, so I have this, there's this idea. It's not a novel or a new idea. It's called the commons. And it's where we all pool our resources. We all pool our time. And we create community to combat, um, this sounds very like Marxist, like, but um, to combat like a capitalist system that isn't really serving us anymore. Right. So for instance, um, I just read an article today that really actually demonstrated this perfectly, um, where a bunch of galleries and art spaces in Philadelphia during COVID pooled together, created an association all together. I think there was four or five of them pooled their fundraising, did cross pollination with each other. So they did events together. They pooled their resources, their staff, and that's how they're working to survive this pandemic. But mm-hmm. what's really great is that now they've created a cultural ecology. That's all of them together working mm-hmm. together in a very cohesive way where no one is in competition with one another. The resources are being pooled. Um, and as a result, they're surviving. Um, mm-hmm. And I see this even with the plum that opened up in Toronto, where yep. it's a bunch of artists who pooled all of the resources together, created a space where they all could show their work, where they're all pitching in. And that kind of sustains you because you're not one person trying to fight this system. You're all a community. You're all building together. And I don't think this has to be just like artists or small organizations. The case in Philadelphia was great because it was not just small. Like these were mid-sized institutions that were all pooling their resources together. And I think you can also see this with like commercial spaces, putting in partnerships with other commercial spaces, sharing gallery space. I think we're just going to have to reconceptualize um, what that community can be and be a little bit more open to sharing our resources, sharing our time and kind of losing that little bit of like competitiveness that I know exists because of the kind of economy that we live in. But I really think we could with more of that kind of thing can really push us forward um, and kind of beat the system a little bit. The, the thing is that, and, and I, I don't, I don't want me to, you know, be contrary for that, but let's just explore the, the ideas. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the end, um, the capital has to come from somewhere. Right. Yes, I mean, 100%. like that's the reality of, of our system. And, and even in those initiatives, perhaps, you know, g- uh, getting together with some other uh, galleries or like you said, the plum, getting a bunch of people together, 
it still has to come from somewhere. You know, yeah, and so somebody has to have some money somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so what what I'm trying to say is like it, like what you're describing, it kind of also works within the neoliberalistic thought. Yeah, it does. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it, because it's it's kind of like people bringing themselves up, right? So mm -hmm. um and you know, we've been doing these uh, initiatives of having this small gallery or we have always had this conversation going in terms of, okay, understanding that we will always have to bring the um, support to, to these initiatives, then, you know, you, you kind of like balance everything out and say like, maybe I won't be able to do like three fairs a year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For sure not, you know. What I'm trying to like place this quote unquote utopic ideas in where does it fall? Does it fall into like the more um, system that requires the government to help you out, right? Or or to like lift you up to be creating in a, in a place, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or it requires private equity so that, you know, they can bring you up as well and say like, okay, so now you do it. Or the community, like you say, like, which, you know, it sounds pretty much like communistic idea in that way. <laughs> it's <laughs> like everybody chip in and we'll, we'll do it, you know? My, I guess, concern with these things is like how sustainable it is in the in the near future. Mm -hmm. You know, like how long are we thinking that we can do this? And obviously, there's no easy answer. Yeah, I'm putting you on the spot for no reason. I mean, I I agree. Yeah, I I definitely think you know we live in a neoliberal world. We live in a capitalist world, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. So I think a lot of this is reacting. Yeah. To what is in front of us, right? Right. I think we have to kind of be idealist and pragmatic at the same time. That's true. Like, That's what true. is the best I can do in the framework exactly. that has been given to exactly. me, right? Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, there is no way I can change neoliberalism. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I can't, you know, me, myself and my little glasses are not going to go out there in the world and like change neoliberalism. Um, but like, what can I, what can I do to improve the situation in the kind of the cards that I've been yeah. dealt. And so when I make my suggestion, I think of this kind of, con it's commoning is the word, yeah. you know, pooling resources, leaning on your community, building something together, yeah. um, kind of resisting this idea of competition that is so ingrained, I think, in a market-based yeah. economy. Um, you know, that's a suggestion as a reaction yeah. to a certain set of circumstances. That's right. I mean, if we were going to talk about like what my utopia would be in a socialist society, that's going to look a lot different yeah. than what's what I'm saying now. Exactly. Um, you know, so I think that as public funding continues to kind of dwindle and we move to more a need for private yeah. and corporate investment to sustain um, arts practices that don't generate their own kind of economic um, results yeah. that have more kind of like well-being results, you know, but don't necessarily generate a lot of income. We have to then think about, okay, how do we deal with that? Yeah. What can we do within this framework to make sure that we don't lose yeah. these kinds of spaces, this kind of art? And I also think that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and lobby for the government to give more money or to change its approach to the arts. Um, I think that that's also very important work and that needs to happen simultaneously. Um, but those kinds of changes are going to take a while yeah. um, to happen. So what can we do in the moment as a reaction to the kind of set of circumstances that are being Yeah, and you know what? I mean, like uh, a lot of these conversations, a lot of the times... Um, are anecdotal in terms of like, we don't really, yeah. I, I don't, I haven't really looked at numbers. I haven't really looked at, mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that you can actually find these numbers. Oh, you yeah. can request these things to the government and say like, so that you can see how much actually goes into the arts versus how much goes into any other thing that you can think of. I right? don't even think you have to request it. Like, no, I think it's very public. publicly available. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll have to look back into like whatever the last report was. Exactly. I don't know when that was for yeah. Canada, but... Yeah. It's it's very it is public information. Yeah, and you know, um, when I was just looking for general information on how our economic model works, because you know that's one of the yeah. things that you know you're living in it, you don't even know, 
most of people yeah, don't know. Yeah, you don't know. even know like yeah. what you're a part of sometimes. Exactly. You don't even know. Exactly. Yeah. And so like, unless you're, you know, an economist or something like that, that it's formational for you, perhaps in university or something, just imagine somebody that is not really even in the academic world thinking about what neoliberalism is. And that's complicated, you know? Oh my gosh. I didn't even understand it. I remember they, they put the word up on, I think the second or third day of my master's degree in my cultural policy class. And I was like Googling it frantically. I'm like, what is neoliberalism? I have no idea what this means. And even now I, we haven't defined it. And that's also problematic because how, how do we even define that? Exactly. that's an hour conversation in itself sometimes to like, how do you unpick that? Um, so Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, how can we, how can we like just in a, in a Distill few Distill it into like yeah, a so couple sentences. It, it, it is, it is an idea that market would regulate where the value yes. is in terms of, you know, people are buying something or not, then that's where the value goes. And that's what it's going to dictate a lot of the policies that will be created in a country. Is that too short? Yeah, it is obviously. But, no, I mean, it's yeah. short, but I think mm-hmm. that really like sums it up. Right. I think it was a move from like the state or a country yeah. providing a lot of services to then those services becoming privatized. Yes. Um, so, you know, we're lucky in Canada and in the UK as well to have free healthcare. Um so, but that would be like that as an example, that would be as if the state had always funded healthcare and then they decided, oh, we're going to make it private. Mm-hmm. We're going to privatize healthcare. That would be an example of neoliberalism if that were to happen. And I think that's a good example because it's very familiar I think so. to everyone. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so you're right in saying that, you know, this is too short for us to unpack, but the general um, idea that I'm trying to get to is just that in the arts, we need to really understand this. We need to really understand it yeah. because it is it is the arena where we are playing, and and just underst- Ooh, that's a good phrase, Mark. <laughs> and it's just understanding that, you know, I don't know. For me, for instance, for us in in running this little space and all of that is, we'll have to really curve the enthusiasm in the sense that, okay, so you know, we can play here and here. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> it, it, it is important to, to have that kind of like idea. And so I think I wanted to talk to you as well, because it, the idea of like the policy thinking, you know, that, mm-hmm. that is that is very important. And I, I don't see it often. I mean, I don't see like I see a lot of idealistic thoughts in the arts, mostly perhaps with like artists, because they have to be you know working in these concepts and all of that. Um, but I don't know how much consideration there is in like the actual you know grinding down you know creating change slowly in policy and all of that because i don't know it's not I mean, policy is another language yeah if you really think about it I, I mean it's an inaccessible language yeah that i think not a lot of us speak um and i didn't speak it until i took a cultural policy class and I got really interested in it because I was like, why haven't I known this? Yes. Why didn't I know how grants were distributed? Why didn't I understand the market? Why didn't I even know what the word neoliberalism meant? Like I didn't even know what that <laughs> meant. I'm sitting there in class Googling, like, yeah. what is this word? Um, like, I mean, it is politics. And um, I think that word kind of is also intimidating. Yeah. It makes you feel like you can't change it or you can't, enter it because politics seems like something so kind of far away. I know I always thought that. I was always like, oh, politics. No, I don't want to get involved in that. I did. Actually, that's not true. If my mom's listening, she'll be like, no, Rebecca always was (laughs) trying to get involved in politics. (laughs) So that's a lie. I take that back. But um, I mean, I think that it is an in it, it. There's lots of things like that as well that, you know, they feel like the art world itself feels intimidating. And then you add all of the Oof. things that maybe you want to change about it. And that's also very yeah. intimidating. Yeah. No, that's it. <laughs> you I got mean, like these levels of intimidation. Sure. And, and I think, I think it's always, it's very easy to point out those things. And I think um, perhaps there has to be a, a bigger push and more energy spent in thinking about all the things that has been accomplished, you know, which is, it's also yes. important to, to, to spend the time in, in doing that. But to your point on how perhaps there's a natural way of saying like, I don't want to get involved in politics until it kind of becomes personal. And that yes. then it becomes easier for you to explore 
that is like, what does it mean? How does it affect me? Yeah. Um, and how can I contribute? This, these conversations are complicated yeah. in nature. I don't think there's like an easy way out. And, you know, one of the interesting things for me through working in the podcast and talking to people in the arts, I always go back to ask, like, why do you think that we're talking about these things in this setting? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it is interesting that those are the topics that normally come to mind when you are talking to an artist or to a cultural worker in general. I think it's a, it's a lot of that um, being really connected to what the reality is. You know, I think it's also the time we're living in. Mm -hmm. You know, we're mm -hmm. in a time where, you know, the art and culture, they kind of act as like this mirror to right. our our existence or surroundings. And even sometimes more than a mirror because they force us to kind of look at things in different ways. Or, um, But I think because of the climate that we're in, the situation, pandemic, Black Lives Matter, kind of polarization. Um, I know here Brexit, yeah, huge. Yeah. These are all things that are kind of affecting our daily lives, our daily understanding of things. And so art serves a role in helping us understand our environments and who we are. And I think that's why we kind of get caught up in all of this stuff right now. Yeah, there's a lot of... Um you know, uncomfortable feelings. And then perhaps they also get robbed into everything you do. Um, you mentioned uh, the UK. Um, I wanted to ask you, so are, are you able to go to classes now, like in person? No. So I'm, okay. I'm online. Online. I've All been online, online yeah. the whole time. Mm -hmm. I, I went, to, I've been using the library, Yeah, which looks like it's out of Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. Um, so yeah, so it's all been online. Um, and uh, even like I'm going through job interviews right now and they're all online. Nobody's in person or anything. Right. Like you know, um, a lot of the topics we talked about really show that you are committed to, through all your possibilities to like create some change and to question some things that um, perhaps are going to be really important for the future of art making in Canada and elsewhere where you are perhaps in the UK. I don't know if you're planning to come back or not. Uh, we hope so. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's uh, a big question right now. Yeah. I don't know. Is that right? I don't know if I'm going to come home or not. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to decide. Yeah. It's a hard, it's hard to leave your home. For sure. As you know, because yeah. you, you left your home. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's not an easy decision to leave um, because home is what you know. Um, and it feels safe and it feels nice and um it's familiar um but i think at least for the next little while i'm gonna stay um and see what i can do here and then if i hate it and i just miss maple syrup and bacon <laughs> or negative 15 winters and ice skating and um canadian warmth i miss actually. that's right i miss that's like a right. good old canadian <laughs> hug i just I missed that. <laughs> so how long is your program? So I'm, my dissertation starts in April. Oh, and wow. Then so I it's quick. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So like I, I've, I'm pretty much done all my classes. Oh, I wow. finish at the end of this month. Mm -hmm. um, then dissertation starts and I have four, five months to write the dissertation, submit it. Done. done. That's it. So it's one year, but it's um, intensive. So you take more classes than you would if you were doing a two year um, course and you don't have as long to write your dissertation. Um, it's a shorter dissertation though, because of the, sure. um, the time frame. but yeah, I specifically wanted to do a one year degree. Um, just because, you know, two years is a big commitment. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm here, I probably would have like, now that I've taken the program, I'm sure I would have committed to the two, but you don't know, um, at the time. So yeah, so I think I'm going to give it another year after this and see how it goes and how I feel. Um, but I mean, there's big differences between the Canadian art world For and sure. this one and Canadian art world's a little bit more community oriented. Yeah. Um, feels like, you know, like you, you kind of know everybody, um, yeah. and you run into them at the same openings and, um, yeah, there's no, a bit of sure. a, you know, I mean, even Carla, I mean, Carla is a good friend of mine and I met her cause I kept bumping like she came to the openings and then you just, you just form a really like close relationship. So I do, I do miss that kind of like 
community yeah. um, a little bit um, and the intimacy yeah. of the community. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, I, I, I can attest to that because even just moving from Montreal to Toronto, it's a, it's a big shift in terms of exactly mm -hmm. that, like the community that we had built there already, you know, in every opening you, you know, hang out with the same people most of the time yeah. and, and everybody's kind of like working towards the same goal. And when you get to the new community, you're like, okay, trying to like figure out, you know, where, where your place is in it. Um, but as always, I mean, there's a lot of commonalities in between art communities in the world. I think, you know, everybody's kind of like in the same wavelength, but definitely. So have you been able to do any visits to galleries or anything? No, eh? everything's closed. I did a few. I got yeah. really lucky because there was a couple of weeks of quarantine that were lifted. So I went to David's Warner. Um, yeah. I went to Tate. I went to um, Whitechapel yeah. Gallery. I went... Where else did I go? Is that it? Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> uh, but you it know. feels like a lot. I mean, like for you, it's, you say it's so sad, but for me, it's like, oh, wow, you've done a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I it mean, did. honestly, it was a big shock for me, just the scale, like yeah. the size yeah. of some of these institutions. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is massive. Yeah. Um, so that was really exciting. And for just sure. to see artists from different places that yeah. I'd never seen before yeah. um was also super exciting for sure um so you know I've seen I've seen a few things it's yeah. just you know I'm so excited for when these restrictions kind of get lifted and then I can see in person yeah some of these things that I I've been reading about or wanting to see for a very long um time because yeah. this this city has so many galleries and so many museums and they're free for sure for sure. I can just walk into the tape for free. That's awesome. And it's amazing. I don't have to pay $25 to like enter the museum. That's great. Why? Is that is that free everywhere? It's for everybody? Yeah. All the public institutions are free. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's super exciting. Because then you can just like gallery hop and not feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to spend like $100 today <laughs> just on getting into gallery, like museums yeah. and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where do you live in London? So I'm in North London right now um, in Finsbury Park, which is super cool neighborhood. I really love it. But I just got my own place um, Ooh, and nice. I'm moving in a few weeks. So I got my own apartment, which is a big step. For sure. Um, yeah. And it's, um, I got really lucky. I got a really cool studio attic, little <laughs> attic. <laughs> Again. Um Fulfilling my Victorian fantasy of living in an attic. Nice. Um, yeah, in uh, um, Hampstead Heath. Okay. So it's by a really beautiful park. Um, I'm very lucky. Um, so yeah, I just got that place. Um, and I'm moving in a few weeks. That's great. Congrats. It, it's, it sounds like through the um, toughness of the pandemic, you've done really well. That's great to I hear. I mean, I've had some bad days. Sure. Like I don't, I think sometimes like when somebody lists, all the stuff that they've been doing. I mean, like I've had some moments. Yeah. I mean, like definitely really had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm in a long distance relationship, so that's also really hard. Ah, just missing tough, your yeah. person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so it hasn't like, you know, and the isolation. And I think I've just kind of just felt like, you know what? I'm super, super like blessed to be able to kind of like be studying right now. Um, and to not be struggling in that regard. Um, so just kind of taking that for what it is and being like, you know what, I'm just going to make the best, same kind of deal. Just make the best out of like the cards that are on the table That's right. and hoping that like, you know, I'm doing as much as I can without burning myself out and not putting any pressure on myself to be like extra productive Yeah. because like this is an exhausting situation yeah. for so many of us. Just without really adding the, uh, the load of, of work and all of that is exhausting. It is really exhausting. And the screen um, time yeah. and the digital fatigue. And like, I've lost a significant amount of sight in my you right saying, eye. You were saying that. How, how come? I'm now a permanent glasses wearer. I never was before. Really? Um, because of all of the screen time. Yeah, My optometrist told me that my um, I lost like a significant amount. I always wore glasses, but more just kind of like, 
I don't know, for the computer sometimes or yeah. if I drove. I mean, I don't drive, but if I did drive, <laughs> I would have to wear them legally. Right. Um, but I never wore them all the time. But now I have to and oh, wow. I can't really see in the same way that I used to. I'm like a little woman. <laughs> it's it's a good look for an academic. So I know. know. I'm just like, it's my look now. <laughs> I'm rebranding myself as a glasses wearer. <laughs> That's right. Rebecca, this has been great. As I said, uh, when I emailed you, sometimes these conversations take their own shape. Yeah. And they go through places. So I, I appreciate you coming in the road with me. And I personally have that um, tendency to make things more complex than what it is. <laughs> Because that's probably how my mind works, uh, unfortunately. But I appreciate you having the patience to unpack some of these tough and, and difficult conversations with me. Oh, it's like always so nice to speak with you. Um, and I hope that like, you know, this was like a helpful, productive conversation. I also have the tendency to make things more complex yeah. than they need to be. <laughs> so these poor people listening are going to be like, what are these two yeah. people? What's going on? No, no. It's, it, that's, that's all the magic of edition. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, Marks will just edit all of my exactly waffling out of this. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm sure that this is not going to be the last time that we talk. I uh, I wish you all the best for you in the UK and uh, hoping to be able to visit you sometime so that you can give us a tour of, uh, you know, the oh most... Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you and Audrey come yeah, and awesome. visit. That would be absolutely lovely. Yeah. Um, and when we can, when we can travel again. Um yeah, that would be lovely. Yeah. Honestly, anybody who wants to visit me just makes me happy. <laughs> After a year of not seeing anybody, That's I'll right. just embrace all of the visitors. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I think in a way we're all like that. Even if, you know, even within Canada, it's like we haven't really been able to hang out. Like you see somebody for like yeah. 15 minutes or an hour walking. It's not the same, right? So it's, uh, I think that uh, everybody is needing a little bit of contact for sure. I miss barbecues. Yeah, Specifically. There, yeah, it's very specific. I don't specific. know why specifically, but like I specifically uh, miss barbecues. a barbecue <laughs> with like beer and like, I don't know, you, you've got like a little fire going and I don't know. There's something specific about that. That to me feels like a very Canadian image. <laughs> like, I don't know. Barbecue I really miss that. and there's, yeah. there's always like a moose walking by, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Maple syrup on everything. Exactly. Just like sausage, maple syrup, burger, maple syrup. Um, but yeah, so um, I thank you again for your time. And uh, I know that it's getting late there as well. So thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much. I had such a good chat. All right. So that was my conversation with Rebecca. Thank you again, Rebecca, for making time to do this. Music and mastering was done by Arcadia Lance. Visual design was done by the always handsome Victor Garibay, Gary. I'm the host, Marks, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. In the meanwhile, take it easy and talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.